there is a, a kind of Christianity, as we noted last week, which is almost exclusively concerned with what we don't do. Uh, don't swear, don't do drugs, don't watch certain movies, don't go to certain places. And that note needs to be sounded. There are things that the people around us do that we must not do. Uh, as we were singing, there, there are, are these ways that we must not mingle with them. There are things that we did before we were Christians that we must not do anymore. And that note is sounded here in verse 2 of Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world. And that is a note which we must never stop sounding. And yet it's only half the story. In fact, a Christianity where people satisfy themselves about what they don't do is not true Christianity at all. I gave the illustration last week of Sinclair Ferguson growing up in Glasgow in the 1950s. His parents were strict, but they weren't believers. They didn't go to church, yet they wouldn't let him out to play football on a Sunday. They got the, the thou shalt not, but because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them, they didn't live out the positive side of Christianity. True biblical Christianity is not just about what we don't do, but it's also about what we do do. True Christians are like their saviour who we're told went about doing good. And in fact this very chapter which begins with the call not to be conformed to this world goes on to say what we are to do. And that is to use the gifts that God has given us to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And having considered Last week, the call to bear one another's burdens, we come today to the call to serve. Uh, to serve one another, as we're commanded in Galatians 5 and 1 Peter 4. And to do that in the context of the church, as Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 make clear. We're going to look at the, the call to and the privilege of serving under three headings this morning, uh, spending most of our time on the first two. Um, we see firstly the motivation for service, the motivation for service. Service is perhaps not the kind of word that excites us very much. The, the call to serve which we'll come to in our second point today, it's very clear in the New Testament. When we think about the call to service, there are endless verses that we could turn to. But we have to get the motivation right. Otherwise, a sermon like this could be the spiritual equivalent of eat your greens telling us to do something that we know we probably should, but we don't have any real appetite for. And so we have to get the motivation right. Because the Bible doesn't start with what we're called to do for God. Rather, it starts with what God has done for us. 
We see that pattern again and again in Scripture. And we have it in this very book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are about what God has done for us. Romans starts off with the reality of our sin and then what God has done about it. It starts with our great need of righteousness and then it tells us about the righteousness that God has provided for us in Christ. Uh, The early chapters of Romans remind us that, that not only do bad people need Jesus, but good people and even religious people also need Jesus. And then Romans tells us how Jesus came to free us from sin by his death on the cross, which is our only way of getting right with God. Then as the book goes on, we we come to the amazing truths of chapter 8. If you're new to Christianity, Romans 8 is one of the best loved and most comforting chapters in the whole Bible. It begins by telling us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It puts the the suffering of this present time in contrast with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It asks the question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it confidently declares that nothing can. And over the last number of years, we've gone through uh, the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. Uh, I hope next year, uh, God willing, to cover chapters 9 through 11. Uh, Chapters 9 through 11 give us a great cosmic view of God's great plan of salvation. Starting with God's choice of the Jewish people and then the tragic rejection of the message by many of them. But that rejection in turn leading to salvation for the whole world and eventually the ingathering in back in of the Jews. And only after 11 chapters dealing with what God has done for us do we come to our first series of commands in the book. There are occasional commands earlier, earlier on in the book of Romans But up until chapter 12, the focus is very much on what God has done. But now, in light of that, the rest of the book will focus on our responsibilities. And Paul explicitly draws a connection here in verse 1 between what God has done for us and what he calls us to do for him. He starts the chapter, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's mercy to us, all that he has done for us in Christ, is the starting point of our call to serve. It is the motivation. And it must continue to be the motivation. I know today that I'm not talking mostly to people who need to be told to to start serving. But you may need to hear the exhortation that Paul gives twice in two different letters 
not to grow weary in doing good. And how can we stop growing weary? How can we stop growing weary? By looking to Jesus. Because he didn't grow weary in doing good for us. And he has given us his spirit. Jesus came to this earth and he stayed the course until his work was done. He fought the good fight. He finished the race. He kept the faith. And by his grace we can do the same. If our motivation for service becomes the people that we're serving, we will grow weary because they might not progress at the rate in which we hoped or they might, but they might move away or, or, or circumstances will change. If our motivation becomes people thanking us, well, again, we'll be disappointed but people weren't coming up to Jesus on earth and thanking him for, for coming to earth. Uh, the critics criticized and the haters hated. His own family didn't understand. His disciples squabbled amongst each other. They, they fell asleep when he needed them most. They, they forgot the things that he had taught them. But he kept going. He kept going for them and he kept going for us. And he is our motivation. Judy isn't a great motivator. We need, we need Judy. Uh, but if that's all we had, it wouldn't be a great motivator. But Jesus is. His grace is. What we proclaim, says Paul, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. We serve not for reward or reputation, but for Jesus' sake. I'm sure we would all agree with that in theory. But if we really are serving for Jesus' sake, then we'll not throw in the towel if we don't think we're being appreciated the way we ought to be. Or if we're not getting the thanks that we feel we should be getting. Because Jesus is our motivation, not how others respond. But just before we leave this first point, surely under our motivation to serve, we can also include the fact that we have been gifted for service. Verse 6 here in Romans 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Or First Peter 4.10, we read it earlier, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Surely the fact that the risen Lord Jesus, by his Spirit, has gifted us to serve in the church is a great motivation to serve. We'll talk later on a little about what those gifts might look like. But don't miss the fact that Peter tells us that we all have gifts. All of us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And the last part of, of that verse in 1 Peter 4.10 is significant as well in terms of motivation. Because what are we called there? Or what are we to be? 
were to be stewards, as good stewards of God's varied grace. As good stewards. What is the alternative? Well, the alternative is to be bad stewards. If we've all been given gifts, then either we're going to be good stewards of what God has given us by his Spirit, or we're going to be bad stewards. Surely we do not want to be bad stewards of what God has given us. Surely we don't want to be like the man in the parable who buries his talent in the ground. Surely we don't want to be standing there on the day of judgment and the master asks what we've done with our talent and we say nothing. Or we say that we've used it purely for ourselves or our our biological family but not our spiritual family. Even if we didn't have to give an account at the end, surely we wouldn't want to be bad stewards of what God has given us. And yet we will have to give an account. Tonight in our evening service, we're going to be thinking about the end of the world. And what will we do if we really believe that the end of the world is coming? Will we hunker down and wait for the end? Will we spend time speculating about when the end will come? Well, no. Because two verses before Peter gives us that command to serve one another, he says, the end of all things is at hand. And then he gives us a list of things we're to do in light of that. The end is near. Pray. The end is near. Love one another earnestly. The end is near, practice hospitality. The end is near, serve. So firstly this morning, the motivation for service. We're motivated by Jesus and what he's done for us. We're motivated by the fact that the Holy Spirit has gifted us for service. And we're motivated by the fact that the end is near. Secondly, Our second main point is the call to service. The call to service. Having seen the motivation for service, we come to the call to service. And again, the the call to service points us to the Lord Jesus. When he was on earth, he said, I am among you as the one who serves. And are we greater than our master? He says to his disciples and to us, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now occasionally you'll hear of churches where they have services where they literally wash one another's feet. So so should we do that? Because that's actually an example of trying to apply a first century biblical command to our day without any thought as to how our culture might be different. In the first century when most people walked everywhere wearing sandals on dusty roads, having your feet washed when you arrived somewhere was common courtesy. To do it in our day and age would be verging on the ridiculous. 
the people who, who come to such foot washing services are maybe fresh out of the shower an hour beforehand. Their feet are clean anyway. It's a waste of time. But is that command irrelevant? Well, not at all. Foot washing was a task done by the, the lowest servant. So surely the implication for us is, are we willing to do lowly, menial tasks for the sake of our brothers and sisters? Whether that's cleaning the church toilets or getting involved in an outdoor cleanup day or welcoming the new person who comes in and seems a bit rough or helping set up for a church lunch or, or doing the dishes afterwards. There, there are, are so many examples we could list but, but it's the polar opposite of the attitude which says well someone else can do that. So we have a one another command, wash one another's feet. And we start with what it meant, what it meant at the time, and then we ask the question: What does it look like in our own day? Because the church, which which literally washes one another's feet once a year, it, it, it may it may seem to be following this command, uh, but but in practice, it, it may be disobeying it if people aren't willing to do lowly tasks the rest of the time. It would be possible to fulfill the letter of this command, but not the spirit. Whereas a church where people never literally wash one another's feet, uh, but is committed to sacrificial service, it's fulfilling the spirit of the command. Is it wrong for a church to have a, a foot washing service? No, I'm, I'm, but, but, but it misses the point. If that's all we do, fine if people want to do that, but if that's all we do, it misses, it misses the point. Are we willing to do what, what the lowest servants would do? And yet there are one another commands in this area that we can just take and apply directly. Uh, the apostles Paul and Peter, through the Holy Spirit, they both give us commands to serve one another. Paul has it in Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The starting point of all these one another's is love. And if we have love for one another, we will serve one another. Or as Peter puts it, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So not only are we called to serve one another, not only do we have the example of the Lord Jesus, but we have gifts that we are to use, which we must use to serve one another. But sadly, there have always been those in churches whose big concern is not what they can give, but what they can get. As someone that has put it, a lot of Christians know a lot of Bible verses but aren't serving anyone. A lot of Christians know a lot of Bible verses but aren't serving anyone. It's also been pointed out that while our age has been called the information age, it won't be called the application age. 
Tony Merida says, don't settle for endless studies, conferences, blogs, and social media interactions. Go wash feet. Ministers in churches are asked plenty of questions that make their hearts sink. Why was the church painted this colour? Why wasn't I consulted? Why doesn't our church do what this other church does? Why wasn't that done? But it always seems that there are a lot fewer people asking other questions. How can I serve? What needs done? I have some spare time this week. What can I do that would be most helpful? You've mentioned there's a go team coming. What needs done? Uh, Merida says, be a servant, not a critic. Uh, Be a servant, not a critic. Uh, And it's interesting that it's often those in a church who who serve least and who are involved least who are the first to criticise. It doesn't mean it's wrong for someone to respectfully raise concerns if they have them. But if you did one of those online personality tests, uh, and rather than the the question being what sort of person are you, the question was what sort of church member are you? Is your your natural disposition that of a servant or a critic? Is a question that most naturally comes to your lips. Why is it being done this way? Or or what can I do to help? Uh, The call to, to service. But just before we leave this, this second point, where are we called to serve? Uh, and so we also need, need to, to think briefly about the context for service. Uh, the context for service, which is the church. That's hopefully already clear from the commands to serve one another. Uh, these one another commands are about our responsibilities to our fellow church members As one of the verses that we looked at from Galatians 6 last week reminds us, we're to do good to everyone, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Someone looking at our lives from the outside should see that serving in the church and serving those in the church has a particular priority in our lives. Yes, there are other areas in our lives where we're called to serve, particularly in our families. That's that's a great thing. But whereas the average non-Christian sees the need to do good to those in their household, it is a uniquely Christian thing to care about the household of faith. Something else which makes clear that the context for serving as a church is to look at the passages in the Bible which talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, Romans 12, as we read earlier, also 1 Corinthians 12. And in both passages, Paul uses the illustration of the church as a body. The gifts that are given are, are given for the good of the body. Boys and girls, all our bodies have different parts and they're all important. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul asked a question, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? We need all the part, the different parts of our body working together. And that's a bit like what the church is like. Uh, God has given us all ways that we can serve, ways that we can help, and we all need each other. 
The church doesn't just need a, a minister up at the front doing everything. The church needs everyone. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. That's another reason that it is wrong for someone to say, I'm a Christian but I don't go to church. Because every Christian has been given gifts. And if they refuse to be part of a body of Christ's people, or if they do go to church but they go simply as a spectator, then they're either burying the gifts that God has given them, or they're using those gifts for themselves but not the body. Which would be like if a friend gave you money to put in the, the collection plate because they weren't going to be at church that week, but you went out and spent it. God has given us something which we must use. The call to service is a call to serve the body of Christ. It has been well said that followers of Christ are not spectators in the church, but servants of the church. Not spectators in the church, but servants of the church. So what about you? Are you a, a servant or a spectator? Are you willing to serve but only on your terms? Only if something is done the way you want it done? Only if it's a ministry that you have suggested? May that not be the case among us. So we've seen the motivation for service. We've seen the call to service. Thirdly, finally, and maybe this is the, the, the bit you've been waiting for, the opportunities for service. Because perhaps you're sold on everything so far today. You're motivated to serve because of what Christ has done for you. You've heard the call to serve and to use your gifts in the church. But your question at this point is, what does that look like? Some of us were doing Discipleship Explorer during the week. And there's a question... Uh, as part of it which says in what ways can we serve others this week in our church it's a really practical question but perhaps someone who's new to church might not be able to picture what that looks like and a related question you might have is well you said earlier on in the sermon that each of us have been given gifts but I don't know what my gifts are well, firstly, in terms of gifts, First Peter is really, really helpful because Peter divides gifts into two main categories, either speaking gifts or serving gifts. As, as he puts it there in First Peter 4, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. Now, technically, speaking is serving as well. All gifts are serving gifts, uh, but we can still divide uh, the gifts into speaking gifts and serving gifts. Or we could say verbal gifts and non-verbal gifts. Some have been gifted by God to be upfront speaking. And I think that is primarily what, what Peter has in mind here. When he says in verse 11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. But we could include under speaking gifts, uh, uh, as well as a minister preaching, an elder leading a Bible study, or a church member teaching a Sabbath school. But others are gifted at speaking one-to-one, -one or giving a quiet word of encouragement to someone. 
or they're the first over to, to speak to a new person before or after church. Or, or we can include writing here as well, writing an encouraging card or, or sending a text message to someone who's, who's going through something tough. But there are other gifts, serving gifts, which are more in the background, but which are still equally vital. A good example would be on our Go Teams. People who come on our Go Teams, our mission teams, they have different gifts. Uh, and we try to use those different gifts. Usually when we've done a drop-in and invited people in for tea and coffee, uh, we've made sure that it's those on the team who are particularly good at speaking to new folk who are there for the drop-in. While some of the others have maybe gone and done practical work or, or children's work at the same time. And that, that is not saying that any one group are better or more gifted than any other. It's just recognising that God has gifted us in different ways. If some of you are hosting a visiting minister after church, well, you need people who can make the food, but you also need someone who can keep the conversation going, serving gifts and speaking gifts. In, in, in the church kitchen or in our kitchens at home, we have different implements that are used for different purposes. And it's not that one is any more vital than another. A tin opener might not look that impressive compared to a knife block full of shiny matching knives. You know, if someone says, for, 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 for a wedding present, uh, do you want a, a tin, op- tin opener or a knife block? We might say the knife block. But if you end up having to try and open a tin of beans with a knife, you'll be wishing you had a tin opener. The knives can't say to the tin opener, we're better than you. And nor does a tin opener need to feel that it's being overlooked if it's not being used to chop carrots. If everyone were a preacher, we'd turn up at church and it wouldn't be clean. The collection would never make it to the bank. Bills wouldn't be paid. Things that get broken around the church wouldn't be fixed. Church lunches wouldn't be very appetizing. We need those with speaking gifts and we need those with serving gifts. There's not like those who speak are never to serve or those who serve are never to speak. And don't think of the gifts God gives you for service as, as completely unrelated to the things that you're good at outside of church. Someone might be good at music and that means that it's easier for them to 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 come to to church and start the singing uh, than it is for many others or someone might be gifted when it comes to technology Uh, some of us were at a funeral this week of a deacon in the baptist church and he had a real talent for video Uh, he he had what what would be called these days a side hustle uh, as a videographer at weddings but he also used those skills in the church. He set up and ran their whole audiovisual system, the, the projector and so on. 
But imagine that he'd had that talent and he'd only ever used it outside of the church. Imagine that if he'd only ever used it as a way of bringing in income. To do that would be to take the, the gifts and abilities that God has given us and use them for ourselves or, or our families, but not the church. And surely that would be a, a serious thing. And so something to think through this afternoon or over the next few days would be what gifts and abilities do you have and are you using them in the church? If you're still at a loss to know what those gifts and abilities are, uh, talk to someone else who knows you or think about what you've done in the past in other circumstances perhaps and think if there's a way that you could use that same ability in the church. Or if you feel you do have gifts but they're not being utilised by the church, speak to, speak to James, speak to me. And, and don't think that gifts have to be some hugely spectacular thing. Uh, just being able to uh, say, say hello to someone, uh, that is, is a way that maybe you're, you're at a stage in life that, that there's, there, there are other things that you could have done in the past but you're not able to do anymore. But to be a, a friendly face or, or a welcoming smile, that can make a, a huge difference. Uh, surely we should all be involved in the work of the church in some way, which meant that if we were gone, people would miss us. And there would be a gap left behind needing filled. Not like King Jehoram of old who died with no one's regret. What, what, a, what a terrible thing to say about someone and yet the Bible says it. A King Jehoram who died with no one's regret because it was true. Sadly it's sometimes said of people in churches they have the gift of discouragement. But of all the gifts that God gives us discouragement isn't one of them. We're called to encourage one another and build one another up. Uh, we're told that each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I'm grateful this morning to be standing in front of many people who are using their gifts. Uh, and so my exhortation to you is do not grow weary in doing good. Keep looking to Jesus serve for him in the strength that he supplies and for those of you who are new to church or at least new to this church think of ways in which you could serve and I know that some some who are new here have just dived straight in and been serving already one of the questions that we as elders like to ask prospective new members is what gifts or abilities do you have that you could think that you think you could use in the service of the church because the call to be a Christian is a call to serve. Because it's a call to follow in the footsteps of our Saviour. The one who came not to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Well let's praise the one who humbled himself but is now exalted by singing Psalm 72. Psalm 72 verses 8 to 11 on page 156. Psalm 72, 8 to 11, page 156. Uh, we're singing in this psalm of the Lord Jesus Christ and we sing in verse 8. May all kings down before him bow, may nations all him serve. 
that is our call today. And let's remember that our service in the church, in our serving one another, ultimately we're serving him. That is what ultimately who we're serving. He is our motivation. He is our great reward. Psalm 72, 8 to 11, we'll stand to sing.